My name is Ron Kelly. I'm the director of the Prestonwood Foundation. I'm also a Plano City Councilman. And the best thing about what I get to do is interacting with a lot of people, a lot of really neat people. That is Ron Kelly. He's got a great story to tell and some great advice for you as you walk the walk. But first, let's thank our sponsors. My name is Tom Sherman. I'm with Benchmark Mortgage here in Dallas. We're a large privately held mortgage bank here in the Dallas area, actually licensed in about 40 states. And one of the things that makes Benchmark unique is that in a world that has really been disrupted with everything that's occurred in the financial industry in the last several years, Benchmark is a company that really focuses on the stewardship of the client. We want to make sure that we don't just help people get into a mortgage loan. We want to help them make sure that they get into the right mortgage loan that's that's really going to help them get to a better place financially and be better stewards of their resources. Right now, the mortgage market is very, it's very commoditized. The same products, the same rates, the very similar fees from one lender to the next. And what really separates us as a company is our focus on not just getting a loan, but helping the client get the right loan for their needs. Best way to reach me is uh, cell phone, 214-680-1166. Or my email, which is tom.sherman at benchmark.us. My name's Dan Harker. I'm a part of the Harker Five Star team. Uh, we're with Keller Williams Realty. We help families buy and sell homes. We help investors buy homes. We help people with new construction. We help people sell ranches. We help people buy ranches, not just residential. And we cover the North Dallas, Dallas County, Collin County, Tarrant County areas as a team. Uh, best way to get a hold of me is on my cell phone, which is 214-957-1111, or on my email address, dan at danharker.com. Hey, this is Todd Metten with Wingstop. I am elated and excited to sponsor The Walk with Shivers and Frida. Bringing you the stories of athletes, celebrities, and everyday Christians doing extraordinary things. It's time for The Walk with Frito and Shivers. We are here. It's The Walk with Shivers and Frito. And David, who do you bring today? Well, we have uh, the distinct honor and privilege of having with us in studio today Ron Kelly. Uh, Not only a fantastic friend, brother in Christ, but uh, serves with me at Prestonwood Baptist Church. He leads up our foundation. Uh, He's got a wonderful wife, Gwen, and two Pretty much grown up children, wouldn't you say, Ron? They're they're grown up. I don't have to write any more checks. Yes, that's a that's a good that's a good bar right there. <laughs> line of demarcation when you're not writing checks anymore. Do you have plans for all that extra money? Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> good well, answer. And today is a big day in uh, the life of your son. Why don't you tell us uh, really quick about what's happened today in Matthew's life? Yeah, my son Matthew. Today is his first uh, day at his job. He graduated from Baylor with a master's in taxation, and he's going to uh, be a accountant. And uh, today's his first day. Uh, I asked him if he was excited, and he just looked at me. He says, "Dad, more money, more problems." <laughs> there you go. I, I, Wait, real quick, I had a friend in college who graduated with an accounting degree, okay? Now, this guy was just a real fun guy, okay? And he, he literally cheated his way through college, okay? We could, we'd be in the same class, and we'd take a test, and four hours later, he would know, you know, someone would say, hey, what'd you get for number 23? And he would know my answer to number 23, okay? Well, he, he got a job. His dad hooked him up with a job at Cooper's and Libran up here. And he came to my house for dinner on his fourth night of work, right? And I brought, invited him over, and I said, how are things going? And he said, Mark, I, 
you know, I cheated my way through college. I said, yes. And he said, I have no clue what I'm doing. And he said, it's probably about another five days before they figure out that I really don't have a clue. I said, are you serious? And he said, I'm going home at night and I've got accounting for dummies. <laughs> and I've got our intro textbooks and I'm trying to train myself as we go. I said, so what do you do all day long? Wow. And he said, well, I've got a, a cubicle in the corner and I play golf on the computer all day long. He said, I probably have another week. And sure enough, it was like 10 yeah. days later. That's great. Living the dream. Yeah. Living the dream. Well, I've already asked my son if he would do my tax return and he just looked at me and he said, I don't think you can afford my rate. Nice. So, there you go. Pricing himself out. Well, and um, <clears throat> so you tell us, tell some of our listeners, tell them about how long you've been serving um, at Prestonwood. And as you do that, go ahead and fill us in on just kind of how you came to know the Lord, a little bit of your faith journey, uh, where it began, uh, kind of how it transpired, and, and where you are now. I know that's a lot to yeah. bite off, but. Well, I've been at uh, Prestonwood now for 13 years. It's been 13 great years. Uh, I did not grow up in a Christian home. My parents were good people, but uh, um, uh, did not grow up in a Christian home. My parents were divorced. Our family was kind of scattered. And I was always part of the football team. I mean, my identity was a football player, and I went to college to, to play football. Unfortunately, I got injured. I had injured my neck, and uh, I failed the physical. And um, it was really kind of a low point for me. I was trying to, where was I going to land? Where, you know, my, I had lost my identity as a football player. And uh, so my sophomore year in college, I did, I prayed to receive Christ. And my life did change. And I walked on the golf team. I think back at this now and how crazy it was. I'd always played golf. I'd love golf. Um, but I went and asked the golf coach if I could walk on. He said there were 32 uh, players for two spots and that we would have to qualify. And uh, I didn't make it, but the golf coach knocked on my dorm uh, on the door and said, we got a meeting tonight. Be there. And I can look back now and I can see where God was all over that and uh, uh, where I was. I was a part of uh, a team, a family, but my faith, uh, there were believers on that golf team. And uh, so it was purely a, a God thing. The first year in college, I didn't play in any of the tournaments. But then my last two years, eligibility, um, uh, I played in every tournament. I was the captain of the golf team my senior year. Uh, it was a God thing. Wow. And now you're still in touch with this golf coach, right? Some 30 years later? Yeah, I am. Uh, his name is Sam Adams. He actually played on the PGA Tour. He was a left-hander. And uh, there weren't many left-handers around back in the 70s. And he won the Quad Cities Open. And he just was a great influence on me. As a matter of fact, uh, I went back to the mountains of North Carolina um, this past summer and, uh, I reached out to him and we reconnected and, uh, just the, he, he was just a great guy. He was a great friend. He was a great mentor. He loves the Lord. And, uh, so it just was a positive experience for me being part of the golf team. So was there like one event or anything that, that just really changed your life or was it just being around the people that were men of faith? Yeah, it was, you know, when I was no longer part of the football team and um, 
again, I had mentioned that my family was scattered. I had nowhere to go on Thanksgiving. That's kind of embarrassing to say. Matter of fact, I was too embarrassed to tell my roommates I had nowhere to go. So and this I, is your freshman year in college or your sophomore? So, this is actually my sophomore year in college. So I packed a bag, pretended I was going to leave, but then I came <laughs> back to my apartment, but to kill some time. Yeah, you know, it's crazy when crazy I think back. Crazy things do as kids. Yeah. So I stopped by my student mailbox uh, to kill some time. And in there, from the Arthur DeMoss Foundation, was a book called Power for Living. And it was testimonies of high-profile athletes. There was a testimony from Tom Landry. And, um, wow. And I read kind that. Kind of hard for a Giants fan to read it, Tom. Well, you grew yeah, up well, cheering for Tom Landry. Well, Tom Landry was a New York Giant. I mean, he coached the Giants. Okay, but so. not old enough to have cheered for Tom Landry when he was playing. No, not okay. at all. No. But I knew he was associated with the Giants. Okay. So. Okay. Yes. And uh, but, anyways, I, my my thought at that point in time was, if you were a good purpose, you know, person, I knew that there was a God. And as far as though Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, I really, you know, I, I that didn't kind of make sense to me. Mm-hmm. But if you were a good person, that you were going to be okay. Hmm. And but I read this testimony where it said that we're all guilty of sin, that we fall short of God's holy and righteous standard. And I felt convicted. And again, I'm at the low point. I wasn't hmm. feeling very good about myself. I didn't know where, you know, I was going to where the next step was going to be for me. And um, it was powerful. In the back of that book, it, there was where you could pray to trust Jesus and what happened for me was um, I felt unloved, to be perfectly honest, at that point in time in my life. I felt rejected by my family. and um, But what came over me was I felt a sense of love that I had never felt before. Amen. And, uh, and in there, I encourage you to go tell someone about your decision. I went and told someone. I went and knocked on the door of a, of a Baptist student union. They gave me a paper Bible. I ripped through that Bible. I probably read through it 50, 60 times. Um, right told, away, just right then. That yeah. same year. And, you know, no one had told me that you should probably start in the Gospel of John. Mm-hmm. How you read a book is you start, you know, <laughs> yes. in the first. So it was great for Genesis, and it was good for me to, because it, it was impressed upon me that God is the all-powerful creator. Amen. That he's the one who said, let there be light, and there was light. That went pretty good until I got to the book of Numbers. Yeah. And and then someone mentioned to me, hey, you probably should skip forward to the Gospel of John. And and uh, where I saw that Jesus is who he truly, who he said he was. That he wasn't some lunatic. He wasn't some liar. That he was Lord. Amen. You know, it's one of the goals uh, that I have for this podcast, and David knows this, is to reach people that, because I was a lot like you, you know, when when, when I married my wife. Um, I didn't grow up with with religion or with Christianity really. And when I married my wife, she would ask me, "Do you, you know, when you die, do you know you're going to heaven?" Hmm. And and my answer would be, "Well, godly he knows. Wife. He knows I'm a good person. Yeah. He knows." Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of people out there because it's logical to a non-believer. You know, in my mind, it's logical to say, "Hey, I'm living a good life. I'm a nice person. I yeah. do a lot of things for other people. My good and, deeds outweigh my bad." Yeah. So, so there's some logic to that. Um, but once you open the Bible and really get into it, you realize how wrong that really is. It's, yeah. it's great to be a good person, but that's not yeah. what it's all about. Well, it's interesting, just hearing Ron's testimony again, I was a 
senior at SMU, 21, in October of 1993, when somebody asked me that same question that Sherry was posing to Mark um, early on in their relationship, just if I were to die tonight, where would I spend eternity? And scale zero to 100, the guy asked me. I remember thinking, man, I got to grade myself. I'm a 75, 80, you know, strong Mm -hmm. CB. And it was the same thing you just said, Mark. From a logical standpoint, I thought, I'm going to put my good deeds on the left and my bad deeds on the right, and that hopefully the left side of the ledger is going to outweigh the right, and I'll get in because he knows my heart, and he knows I'm not perfect, and I've got issues of my own, but my good will hopefully outweigh my bad. Yeah, that's good. So you understood that then. Trusted Christ, I was a sophomore in college, Mm -hmm. and I keep – give us the name of the college again. I went to Appalachian State. It's in uh, Boone, North Carolina. Uh, we defeated Michigan. So that's yes. our claim to fame. On an football. opening weekend that's in right. the big house. It's that's not right. the uh, Chippewas, Appalachian the, State. Mountaineers. 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 Same as West Virginia. Central yeah. Michigan is the Chippewas. Yeah. Chippewas, yeah. yeah. We'll do yeah. that episode later. Yeah, won the <laughs> Division One AA championship three years in a row. There now we're go. Division One. Uh, this is, will be our fourth season in Division One. We've gone to a bowl game. Uh, two wow. of our first three uh, seasons in Division One, we're in the Sun Belt Con- Conference. We were co-champions last year. So, all right, uh, very nice. Yeah. Appalachian State. <laughs> Sherry would be proud. A fellow Mountaineer right here. She's a huge. Sherry Friedman's a huge West Virginia oh, Mountaineer okay, yeah. fan. Scary fan. She went to WVU for sure. So, you trust Christ. Yeah. You're in college. God blesses you with this opportunity to connect and and be a part of the golf team. Uh, Obviously showed some leadership capabilities there, becoming captain, dedicating yourself to golf and playing really, really well. What happened from there uh, in your life, Ron? Where did you go career, business-wise, once you finished at Appalachian State? Yeah, so I got my first job out of school. I worked uh, for uh, a company called Secor. It was a joint venture of Siemens and Corning Glasswork. I was in their management trainee program, and I was in that program for three years. And at the end of that program, they tell you where you're going to go work and where they had selected for me was in manufacturing. I, they said you're going to be you're going to be a plant manager for us one day. <laughs> All right. But sales and marketing is what I wanted to do when I did my stint in sales and marketing. So I left there and uh, moved to New York. That's where I met my wife. Met her on a blind date. Uh, went home the first time I ever met her. Told my mom I met the girl I'm going to marry, and then my wife broke up with me after three dates. But <laughs> wow, anyways, no way! Who set you up on this blind date? The girls that I worked with in my office. They, you know, part of and, the uh, Secor group. That's huh? right. So they they helped me out here. But uh, so when you say New York, is that like New York City or just right outside the city, uh, Orange County, uh, right off of Route 17, right in the area where West Point is. Okay, and. Uh, so, that's where Gwen Kelly grew up. That's up where that way? that's where Gwen is, where she's from. Mm-hmm. But but what happened with me, David, is the more business success that I had, uh, I had some great business opportunities that came my way, and um, the more business success I had, and the more busy I became, the less time I was spending in God's Word. 
Hmm. Uh, the less active I was in my local church. And it got to the point where we moved here in 1996. I was 36 years old. I was vice president of sales for a uh, a billion-dollar operation. And I was totally consumed with my business and uh, my golf game, where I was going to go play golf next. And uh, quite frankly, the priorities of my life were were messed up. Mm. And in 1999, when Preston Wood answered, when they opened, I uh, live right near the Plano campus. Uh, we had some friends invite us uh, to Prestonwood, so it does work inviting people. Yeah, and it's a good reminder for our listeners. Absolutely, God's put somebody on your heart. Make that call. Send an email. Send a text message. Invite them to church. Ron Kelly's absolutely. here to testify. That's right. It works. But I'll tell you what happened is that uh, I felt like Pastor Graham was talking directly to me. I felt totally convicted. As a matter of fact, paralyzed. Mm. And um. And I started the question about the priorities of my life. Now, I was saved. I was going to heaven. But um, but the priorities of my life were, were messed up. And I felt totally convicted. And I got to meet some great ministers at the church. I met Mike Fetchner, um, met some other ministers. And over a series of uh, a period of time, I, I really felt God calling me to full-time ministry and uh, so I, I walked away from my career. I went to seminary and uh, had a lot of great brothers in Christ. Matter of fact, David, I met you the first time was uh, with one of our ministers. Yeah. And uh, we went and played golf. And, Greg Tonjes. Yeah, that's right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and I just felt like I felt very strongly that God was calling me to full time ministry. So I walked away from the business world. I'll never forget my uh, my CEO of the, the company I was working for. He just looked at me. He said, "What a waste!" And uh, now, how old were you at that time? Um, well, Early at that 40s? time, well, I came to Prestonwood at two thousand uh, two thousand four. Would that be two thousand four? Mm-hmm. And um, so I was in my forties. I was in my early forties at the time. Yeah. So I'll never forget, I went home to Gwen and I told her, I said, Gwen, I'm going to make 90% less than what I make, <laughs> but we're going to be happy. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, but my wife, uh, I can just tell you about my wife. I'm married to the most kind and most gentle person and she's always believed in me. And she saw the change in me though, to be perfectly honest. Mm. She saw mm. the change and I feel like I rededicated my life at Preston Wood and um I'm so thankful. That's why I love my church so much. That's why I love my pastor so much. God used Prestonwood and our pastor uh, to wake me up. So, Amen. I'm pretty much the same experience with me. I in a church service thought that Pastor Graham was speaking directly yeah. to me. Mm-hmm. I've said this a couple of times on the podcast. And I, I start tearing up, yeah. and my father-in-law played football at Penn State, and he's sitting a couple of people away from me, and I'm trying to hide from him so you can't see that <laughs> happening. But it's pretty amazing. And Sherry and I literally yesterday were having a conversation. And it was pretty funny because Cher was listing. It was like she was listing a bunch of complaints about me. Mm-hmm. But she said, and she was talking, she was telling me about a conversation she had with her mom. And so she said, well, he's been like this, like this, like this, but he's been a blessing to me. Wow. And so when Cher was describing that conversation, I completely ignored all the negative. No, all you I heard. Said, you just said I was a blessing to you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. and, and she said, well. You know, you can really see the difference. And like you were saying, the, the difference between before and the after. Man that God, and yeah. I'm just going to guess. You say your priorities weren't straight. Yeah. 
before, but it's not like you're living an evil life. It no. wasn't, you know, you're, you're a good father, you're providing for your family, you're doing things that you're supposed to do, but you recognized that even though I'm doing all that, my priorities are just out of whack. Well, yeah. and there's something that's missing, right? It's that Absolutely. relationship with Jesus. You can live a a good, morally upright life as a as a man, loving your wife, loving your children, but until you get fully and completely surrendered, submitted, connected to Christ, Ron, I mean, I know I've seen it, uh, well, somewhat in my life. I was already, I'd already gotten to that point as a college kid, and, and I haven't, but I don't know. Help me here. Yeah, no. It, you know, <laughs> I, started, I lost my train of thought. Well, it, it's very humbling. It's very humbling. And what I tell people today, like when you're convicted as a believer, when you're convicted, that is a great thing. That's the Holy Spirit convicting you. Yeah. And that's just a sign of how much God loves us. And we're going to the right, but he wants us to go to the left. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I felt very humbled. And, and I choke up thinking about that God loved me so much that life was going great for me, but mm-hmm. he stopped me in my tracks because he had more. something far better for me. Amen. And once I had made the decision that, okay, God has a different path for me, it was amazing that I lost all joy. I used to make a lot of big deals, mm-hmm. and I used to get fired up about making those deals. I was no longer fired up about that. I was more interested about what was going on in church and in yes. my walk uh, with the Lord and these new relationships. And, and, and this may sound silly, but one of the things I, I, I was afraid of, I was going to lose all my friends. Mm-hmm. And, and I, did, I did lose a lot of my old friends. But God has replaced that with some of the greatest relationships with other men that I've ever had. That these are my dear brothers in Christ, mm-hmm. and and uh, you know my only regret is I didn't do it sooner. Well, mm-hmm. speaking of that, and I've, I've talked about this too. I'm doing uh, Sky Ranch, and I have been putting together podcasts mm-hmm. for their. For, it's called Parent Camp. It's a great podcast, mm-hmm. and they use it for their kids that are going to camp. And the whole point of it is, as you're driving down to drop your kids off, you listen to episode one, mm-hmm. and then as you're driving home, you listen to episode two, and that's you know keeps you up to date with what your kids are doing every day, but. I don't get jealous. I'm not the jealous type. I never have been. But when I think about, I didn't grow up with Christ. I didn't grow up, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think about those kids, the kids that are going to PCA, the kids that are getting to go to Sky Ranch, the yeah. kids that are exposed to it when I really kind wish I had been exposed age. to it. Yeah. But one of the things that I often wonder about also is, do those kids that have grown up with Christ, do they get to see the before and after like you and I yeah. can? Yeah. And, you know, so, you know, whenever I start getting jealous, I think, well, you know what? They don't get to experience what, yeah. what I experienced, you know, the before and after. Yeah. Does no. that make sense? Is that, no, that's like, a great. Hey, our, our life, who we are, who we are in Christ and who we are as people, it, it's from the experiences that, that we have. And God has a perfect plan uh, for, for all of us. So he'll use those experiences and what I have found now, like in my in my business life, the the, um, mm-hmm. the skills that he developed. I mean, I did a lot of strategic planning, and with my position at the church, my ministry at the church, yeah. I took over a ministry that basically was starting from ground zero, and I was able to use those skills that that he had helped me develop in the business world yeah. now for ministry, now mm-hmm. for the kingdom. So. When I think about a couple of verses, too, that um, when you were sharing just a moment ago, Mark, about 
each of our unique journey, each of our unique paths that God has us on, that we all go through uh, different stages, different chapters, different seasons, but just that Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13, for I know the plans I have yeah. for you, declares the Lord, their plans to prosper you and not to harm you, their plans to give you a hope and a future, and that if we'll call upon him and seek him with our whole heart, he will be found by us. He's not a God who wants to run off and hide, but he's a God who desires to know us and to be known by us. And so he has great plans for us if we'll completely, as you said a moment ago, encourage our listeners to be surrendered, submitted, that he'll transform us into not just a good dad, but a godly dad. And um, I think about that Isaiah 46, uh, where 9 and 10 in Isaiah 46, where God reminds the nation of Israel that that he's sovereign, that even though you didn't have this as a young man, and and I had kind of nominal Christian parents that loved me, that were always there for me, but never would have taken me to a Christian camp or or taught me about the Bible, or or I'm sure they prayed for me, but um, I never saw them seriously engaged and plugged in to their relationship with Christ. But that Isaiah 46, 19, that says that he says, I'm God and there is no other. I'm the Lord and there's none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come, and that my purposes will stand and nothing will prevail against them. He's the sovereign God of the universe. And so when you when you get jealous or envious or you look at your life versus other people's lives and the different experiences, I mean, just remember that we serve a sovereign God who's in total and complete control of everything, and we can trust him not only with today but every one of our tomorrows. That's right, David. You know, I, I told you I started reading in Genesis like you read any book. And again, it was profound to me that he is Elohim. He's the all-powerful creator. He's good. And as David said, hmm. he, he has a he has a perfect plan for us. And all we have to do is surrender, is to surrender. Amen. Okay, you're a city councilman. I am. Why? Yeah, that's a great question. I get that question a lot. Um, so uh, lived in Plano since 1996, had a great experience raising our our kids there. I tell people I had no say in where I was born, but I have all the say in where I was going to raise my family. I'm glad I live in the great state of Texas, and I'm glad I, I chose uh, Plano. But um, you know, we've had some things happen in our community that rather than complaining about it, I, I kind of took a step back and I said, unless I'm willing to do something about it, I have no right to complain. That's and I'm a, I'm a guy who is always Amen. I was always focused on national and statewide politics, interested in politics. But when it came to city politics, um, I really wasn't engaged. But if you think about it, Washington, D.C. can make a decision where it would take years for it to affect your life, whereas a city government can make a decision that would affect your life overnight. Hmm. So I decided to, to jump in. And uh, I had a group of citizens who encouraged me to run for city council. I was like, ah, I'm a minister at a church, you know, and uh, I thought my out was I would go back to the church and ask them and they would say, no, you can't run. And But they, the church has been behind me 110%. And I really appreciate that. So I ran, I had two opponents, uh, just, you know, you have to win with 50%. Plus one vote. Yes. So just the the mathematics of it, you know, you're not going to win on the first go around. But God bless me. I won on the first ballot. 
And so I've been on council now for two years. So this was your first campaign? First campaign I've ever been involved in. And I was so naive uh, to, <laughs> to a lot of this. Uh-huh. And um, But it's been one of the greatest experiences of my life. But I will tell you, I view this as ministry. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm the first ordained minister, to my knowledge, to ever be on Plano City Council. And I know, so great. Yeah. And I know people are, are watching me. And so I represent, you know, yeah. I represent Christ. I represent our church. I represent my family. And I don't want to do anything uh, to dishonor any of them. I may edit this part out, but yeah. um, one of the other podcasts I do is a one called McKinney on the Move. Yeah. And we interviewed on Friday the new mayor of McKinney. That yeah. get, he's getting sworn in today, as a matter of fact. Yeah. And yeah. he's a man of faith. And he's yeah. very well-rounded and everything. And one of the things he said during that interview that um, is going to be released next Monday, by the way, a little promo. Yeah. Um, is he was talking about the keyboard warriors in McKinney. Mm-hmm. He said there's about 12 people that on social media, on Facebook and Twitter, and you just said it, that all they want to do is complain. They don't want to solve any problems. Yeah. And he said they hide behind anonymous usernames. Yeah. And he said, look, I know who you are. And if you don't stop it within the first six months, I'm going to release your name. <laughs> wow. Just, but, yeah, it's just. Yeah. Put them on notice. Absolutely right, though. They, yeah. You can impact things very quickly. That's uh, right. At this level. Local policy. Absolutely. And, I, you know, I read an article by Franklin Graham encouraging uh, believers to get engaged and to run for office. doesn't mean that we're going to win, you know, every election. Mm-hmm. But we have every right. I mean, we are we're citizens of the United States. And what a blessing. But God's word tells us to give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But more right. importantly, though, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. And we have every right to be engaged in our culture and to stand up for what we believe is right, our biblical principles. So that's what I try to do. That's a great reminder for so many that would say, hey, this culture, this it's so dark, it's so evil, it's, you know, corrupt. And so let's just wash our hands of it and stay in our holy huddles at church and pray. And and that's all we're going to do. So great challenge, great reminder. Ron stated earlier that he went to f- college on a football scholarship, ended up playing uh, on a golf scholarship. And I know within your business, you got to play a lot of golf. What's your favorite? Mm-hmm. Give us your top two or three courses that you've ever played in your life. Well, I really love golf in Scotland. Uh, golf is played in over mm. there differently than it's played here in America. And I just love the elements and uh, the design of the golf courses. My favorite golf course in the entire world is a golf course called Royal Darnock. And the only reason it's not in the rotation of the British, the Open, British Open is that it's in the middle of nowhere. There's no hotels, but Royal Darnock is incredible. Uh, I love. I play. I got a chance to play Augusta National for three days. For three days. For three days. I went down there and stayed. I actually had a guy wow. who worked for me. His brother is a member at Augusta National. Ray Robinson, great guy, uh, worked for AT and T. Um, and uh, invited me there. We stayed right there on the grounds. All of our meals, uh, unbelievable, unbelievable experience. Probably the most difficult greens that I've ever putted on. Uh, from the member tees, tee to green, it's not all that difficult. Now, the member tees are about 70 yards up from where the pros play. So, yeah. Um, but I would tell you also. What was the my, best score you shot in those three days? Uh, I shot a 74 was my best score. Now, the wow. first. Wow. 
Um, my first round there, though, um, I probably had my best ball striking round, but I had eight three putts my first round. <laughs> and it's true. You have got to put your you know, approach shot on the greens in the proper position or else there is no way you're going you're gonna to two-putt. I forgot who it was. It wasn't Lee Trevino, but this is something Lee Trevino would say. But a golfer um, once told us that he could take us to Augusta and just putting, just if he, if we allowed him to put the ball on the green wherever he wanted to put it, mm-hmm. that we couldn't break par. Just yeah. putting, yeah. And he see he's convinced of that. And yeah, wow, I believe that. You know, TV doesn't do that place justice. No, it just the beauty and also mm-hmm. the you know the undulations that mm-hmm. you have there. It's a it's not the easiest course to walk. You'll get a workout. Yeah. Um, but uh, did yeah. you have to walk all three days? We didn't have to, but we chose, we chose to, to, and uh, and I'm glad we did. We had caddies, great caddies. But uh, my other favorite golf course in America is Oakmont in Pittsburgh. You want to talk about difficult greens. It's the only course that when they have a major championship there, they have to slow the greens down from what wow. the members play. Uh, but okay. tremendous environment, tremendous golf course. So. Pittsburgh's a great place too. Yeah. I was shocked oh. at how much I liked Pittsburgh the first time I went there. I grew up in Dallas, mm-hmm. so the Steelers and all We that have to hate Pittsburgh. the Iron Curtain, yes. Um, but the first time I went to Pittsburgh, I was expecting just, and there are parts that are real industrial, mm-hmm. but I was expecting it to be all industrial. But Pittsburgh's a great city. Plans, great yeah. city. Real nice I, people too. Yeah. Didn't they play the U.S. Open there last year? Oakmont? Yeah. It was somewhere uh, in Pennsylvania. I don't know. I, mean, I, I could don't be think wrong it, on that. Last year. Hey, Siri. I think it. Uh, so, uh, let's think one more time. What was I going to ask you? Sports background. Oh, we got to talk about how much Ron likes the Giants. <laughs> the G Men. We're squarely <laughs> cowboy guys here. Uh, did you grow up in New York? Area? Yeah, I did. I did. Not in the Syrac- city, Syracuse, though. New York. Syracuse. You grew up yeah. in Syracuse. How far is that from the city? I've it's, never been up to Syracuse. About three, three and a half hours. Okay. I'm going to just launch into that while he's looking for this. So, growing up in. Syracuse, New York, and we mentioned earlier how much you respected Tom Landry, and I was surprised because having known Ron over the years, I know that he's no fan of the Cowboys and (laughs) has a fondness for a team up in the Northeast that unfortunately has experienced a few Super Bowls recently where the Cowboys have fallen on more challenging times, but uh, tell us about your favorite team in the NFL and a little bit of the background there, Ron. Yeah. Well, you know, it's tough living here in the, the Dallas area, but <laughs> I am a diehard fan of the New York football giants. I was brainwashed <laughs> as a child. I remember going to Yankee Stadium, s- sitting there behind a beam, watching football at Yankee <laughs> Stadium, going to the Yale Bowl and watching the Giants there. They played. A so I didn't years. even know that the Giants played in Yankee Stadium? Yeah, Yankee Stadium. Then they went to uh, the Yale Bowl and uh, uh, played there in, in New Haven. Then they played two seasons in Shea Stadium, and then Giant Stadium opened up. I, I actually I went to the first Giants game in Giant Stadium. The Meadowlands? In the Meadowlands, and I went to the last Giants game at Giant Stadium. I brought wow. my son. How about which, that? What by a great the way, memory. I have to tell you, my son wasn't as fired up as I was, and that's where he let me know that he was a Cowboys fan. Thank you. <laughs> At so, the Meadowlands, as we shut it yes. down. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. So do you go to? Do you still go to a lot of games up there? No, okay. no, I haven't been. I haven't been to the new stadium. Oh, you haven't? Okay, because yeah. 
the I think it was the first time the Cowboys played the Giants in that new stadium. It was a night game, mm-hmm. uh-huh. and for about maybe ten seconds, the power went out. Oh yeah, yeah, and, yeah! I remember that. And yeah. I was in the press box, and they. <laughs> Scary. And the first thing I think of is terrorist attack. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Today's so, day and age. The, the power goes out in the press box, box, and I am frantically grabbing my laptop and everything, putting it in the back. I know we're going to You're ready to evacuate. And so that's what I was doing. Uh, the, the power comes back on, and there's a couple of cowboys on the field that are like flat on the ground. They hit the deck. <laughs> and then right below us, there was a brawl that broke out because people were trying to run out of the building as fast as they could. Man. It's quite an experience. Yeah. It's circus. So tell us a couple of your – you told us about attending games and just a little bit of Giants history, but give us a couple of your favorite – uh, memories growing up as a Giants fan. Yeah, well, my, again, my dad was a diehard Giants fan, and uh, you know the Giants were terrible. Uh, let's just be honest. During the seventies, they were downright terrible. Yeah. And my dad always was optimistic about this was the year <laughs> they're going to turn it around. But do you remember the fumble with Joe Pasarczyk? That was the only time that I saw my father where he said, "I give up. I've had enough." Remember that? I can't take this the anymore. I think I know the one that you're talking about where they were trying to kneel it or something. No, right? Well, that's what they should have been doing. They should, they they should have, have done. It. Yeah, yeah. Instead, they just, they're running like dives. And uh-huh. the quarterback, Pasarcha, goes back to hand the ball off. And Larry Zonka. Was it Larry Zonka? It hit, and it was where the quarterback had to do reverse turn, mm-hmm. which was crazy to even call a play like that, not a straight dive. And he, Joe Pasarcha put the ball right on Zonka's hip. And the ball drops on the ground, and Herm Edwards Edwards. picks it up. And uh, the Eagles, right? Yeah, yeah. Eagles seeing the scores. Yeah, picks it up and runs it in. Runs it in for a touchdown. So those are the uh, Giants teams I love. (laughs) (laughs) Those are my great (laughs) (laughs) Giants. Eli Manning has broken our hearts a few times. I love Eli Manning. I love Eli. I love the Giants. I love the Maras. The tradition of the NFL. And yeah. and I will tell you this, okay, and I will cheer for the Cowboys if the Giants are no longer alive. So there you uh, go. So anyway, solid second place in Ron's heart. Um, and your golf game. Some of our listeners might want to know after you know seeing you and hearing you throw down a seventy four at Augusta. No joke is. Uh, Kind of on the shelf. Give them a little yeah. update. I know you've run into just a well, few physical. Yeah, you know all those years playing football. It was it was tough on my body, and uh, I had both of my knees replaced nine years ago. And but the big problem I have is where I had my neck fused. I had neck fusion surgery. The disc below where I had that fusion, I have a herniated disc. And uh, it just got to the point where my neck was killing me playing golf. And actually, in Scotland, I partially tore a tendon in my wrist, hitting it out of the gorse and at, at a course in the Highlands called Glen Eagles. The Glen Eagles in Scotland, they actually had um, uh, they had some major event there. Beautiful, beautiful venue. And uh, uh, so, if I want to start playing golf again, I got to get my neck fixed, and I've got to get my wrist fixed. <laughs> And I've just I just came to the point where uh, I don't want any more surgeries. (laughs) But there are my wife asks me all the time if I miss playing golf, and there are days that I really miss because I love that golf is a is just a great game. Fellowship, it's the fellowship. 
but I'm so busy in my life today with other things. And uh, so, but one day I think I'll make a comeback, David. Amen. That's a great reminder. I love the way you put that. It's a fellowship. It is the best relationship building sport, I think, of all the ones out there. Even though you play individually and you're not technically a part of a team, if you're you know, out of school and you're just an older business guy like us, you're playing individually, but the relationships that are built, the three, four plus hours that you're on the course. It's also very important as a Christian to remember people are watching you. True. On the golf course. That's right. That's a great (laughs) reminder. Good reminder. I haven't broken any clubs since I got saved. (laughs) (laughs) You've seen a transformation on and off the course, huh, Frito? Actually, I was playing with Shivers. The first time I played with Shivers, I hit a drive that was probably the best drive of my life. It was within 70 yards of the green. I just had to go over some water. Yeah. And the next shot, I just chunked it into the water, and I turned around to Shivers, and I said, you know what? Your influence on me is really paying off because I just did, I did not cuss. Yeah, and didn't throw the club <laughs> in the water. In the water. <laughs> I mean, in my golf history, there's been three wedges in the water. Uh, uh, Ron, I've had to replace a golf cart windshield because mm-hmm. I put a wedge through the windshield. Those things cost 120 dollars, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. For those of you listening at home, 120 bucks. The next time you think about whacking that windshield on the golf cart, Shiv, you're right. The U.S. Open was in Oakmont last year. Thought was it so. last year? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Good. Good way I remember that. Man. They've got a really short par four on the back. Those guys were trying to drive, yeah. but it was a really tough green, I yeah. remember. Well, when I was there, though, um, all the trees, they had cut down over a 1,000 trees on the golf course to try to make it uh, more link style and to bring it back to its original form. And so when I was watching, now huh. you mentioned that, I remember this now, them talking about all of that, because um, the course I remember was uh, tr- every hole was tree lined. Wow! And, uh, but they wanted to get the wind, the element of the wind, because wind is a great equalizer there. in golf. Sure, and there's only two things that can stop great players, and that's the wind and extremely fast and hard greens. All right. Well, Ron, <laughs> tell us if you could. What would you say to any male listener out there? A dad. Uh, maybe a young man venturing out in the next step of his career. Uh, Give us just a couple of nuggets uh, that you think have made uh, a big difference in your journey of faith uh, that have made you uh, the man that you are today. Yeah. Well, that's a great question, David. I think the thing that's impressed upon my heart is that we are to serve others. I don't think there's a better title than you can have than servant. As a matter of fact, you know, the apostle Paul says in, 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 uh, verse one of Romans that he was a bond servant, a slave to Christ. And I think serving other people, serving Christ, there is not a better honor or title, uh, that we can embrace in this lifetime. So just and serve others, serve Christ. And, you know, we live in a world that is, is getting darker every day. And, but we're called to be light in the midst of darkness and just stand up, stand up and be a light. People are looking, people are looking for leaders. Uh, they're looking for answers and that we as followers of Christ, mm-hmm. we have the answer. Uh, Jesus Christ is the answer to any problem that any, anyone is facing. 
and men are called to be leaders of their families. And again, it's, it's, it's getting more difficult in, in, you know, this world that we live in. Uh, Jesus is the answer to all. Amen. Well said. That's straight out of the Word of God. Mark chapter 10, Matthew chapter 20, that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Thanks for that reminder, Ron. Thanks for spending a few moments with us today. God bless you guys on the walk. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you.